All right, Ezra chapter 2. Last week we were in Ezra chapter 1 and we looked at this sermon and it dealt with the intervention of God when God intervenes and what that looks like, how that translates. We looked last week at how God intervened in a pagan king and he moved on the people of God in chapter 1 and allowed the children of Israel who had been in bondage for 70 years to go back to their homeland and build a temple, a tabernacle for God to begin the process of restoration. This summer, we will go through the restoring process, God's returning his, uh, our hearts back to him. How many of you have a copy of your sermon notes today? You, anybody need a copy of those? Uh, you got a copy of those when you came in? If you need one, just raise your hand. Some of you young people help us out, go to the core and get that for them and um, make sure they have that as they come in today. But the Bible says, last week we looked at the intervention of God. Today I want us to look at the willingness of man. You see, because God intervened, but man had to be willing. God spoke to Cyrus, but Cyrus had to be willing to let the people go. He had to be willing to let them go. He had to be willing to obey. Now, Here's the interesting part of this sermon, is that God is always trying to intervene. God's always speaking to people's hearts. But the question lies, will man be willing? Will man be willing to obey? Will man, will woman, to be, will, will people, to be politically correct, will they obey? Will they follow and obey the voice of God? And so... Let's look at this in Ezra chapter 2 and verse 1. If you need one, just slip your hand up and they'll get that to you. The Bible says, now these are the people who came back, who returned to the province of Israel. The captives, those who were in bondage, the captives, the exiles, the kings, the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon deported them to Babylon, each one of them, returned to his hometown in Jerusalem and Judea. They came with Zerubbabel, with Joshua and Nehemiah, and the number of the men of Israel that came with them. Now, the book of Ezra is divided into two returns. One was Zerubbabel led the first return, and he began the work on the tabernacle. The second return came from Ezra himself. <clears throat> he was a priest, and Ezra came in. The, the, uh, Zerubbabel came in and led about the restoration of the temple. Ezra came in and led the spiritual. One led the physical restoration. The other led the spiritual restoration. So one restored a building. The other one brought revival to the nation of Israel. And so as we look at this, these are the ones that came back. Now, we spend quite a few verses here naming a lot of people's names that uh, we have a hard time pronouncing. Amen? And so uh, it numbers everyone that came from every tribe. And it's interesting what he's saying here in these verses as he's connecting the dots and moving through them. And it tells you literally every number, the ones who came. Now, Go with me to verse 13. I want to jump to verse 13. I want to highlight this guy. 
The people of Adonikam were 666. That would be 666. Now I want you to underline that because I want to come back and point out something interesting about this cat a little bit later. Now, go with me, if you will, and we're going to finish reading in verse 62. These men sought their listing among them, and they were not registered. There were some men who were not registered. Verse 63, And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy thing until the priest could come. Okay? So the priest had to be in place for the Levitical law and all that to take place. And to be able to have church the way the Jews were accustomed to having church. Now, verse 64 says, I want you to underline this. The whole assembly that went were 42,360. 42,360. Now, here's where the title of our sermon comes in. The willingness of man. Is that a large number? Seems to be. But not when you think that the children of Israel were numbered over a million. So there were well over a million people in, in the nation of Israel. So out of a million people, 42,360 came back. And then it goes on and says, Besides them, the male and the female servants came with them. 7,300, it lists their animals that came with them, their camels, their donkeys, their cattle. But look at verse 68. Some of the heads of the father's houses that the Lord which was in Jerusalem offered freely for the house of God to erect in its place. According to their ability, underline that, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold dromics 5,000 minutes of silver, 100 priestly garments. So the priests of the Levites and some of the people, some of the singers and the gatekeepers, they all came and they dwelt in their cities and all of Israel in their cities. Now, you say, preacher, how in the world are you going to lace all that together for a sermon? Well, I'm going to try my best. Here's the thing that I want you to leave with today on this Father's Day. That if you go back, we understand that a selection had been made. God selected King Cyrus. You remember last week we looked at it? Over a hundred years before Cyrus was ever born, before, over a hundred years before he was ever born, Isaiah said... That a man would be born named Cyrus who would lead the children of Israel back and bring about the restoration of Israel. <clears throat> we looked at that and how it had been prophesied. Cyrus was selected before he was ever born. I want you to understand something today that before you were ever born, God had a purpose for your life. God had a plan for your life. And the enemy will try to derail it and overthrow it and deceive you. But what I want you to know on the authority of the word of God, that he cannot trump the will and the power of God's plan for your life on his own. You have to be willing to accept it. He can't make you do anything. He can tempt us. He can deceive us, and we may follow him. But the selection was made of Cyrus, 
Cyrus obeyed. Now, go with me, if you would, back to verse 3. And it says of chapter 1, last week, Who is among you of all the people who may his God be with him, let them go back to Jerusalem? Now, that's a pretty broad selection, isn't it? Who among you wants to go back? May God be with him. Who among you wants to return? May God be with you. Go back to Jerusalem. Get to work on restoring the temple that God has for you. Restore, restore, restore. They were going back to their city of Jerusalem. This is our city of Alexandria on the map behind me. What we need is the power of God to restore the provision of God, the providence of God, the miracles of God. This week in our nation has been very difficult. As we look just this week, how the gunmen went and worshipped with people in a church in South Carolina, worshipped with them for an hour, and then executed them. And then executed them. It was a very sobering similarities with that for me. The pastor was 41 years old. I am 41 years old. He was 23 when he started preaching. I was 23 when I started preaching. Pretty sobering reality. We are in a place where God is moving and he's looking for us people who are willing to rise up and bring about restoration to a city and not necessarily a church. If we are only concerned at building churches, we will only have what we've already got. Listen, we have bigger churches than we've ever had in the history of churches today. But it's not the answer. The answer is not for us to live a life of segregation from the world, but to live a life of integration in the world and to integrate a city. And I'm not just speaking racially in ethics here. I'm talking about getting out from the church house and integrating our life into a city that we may infect the city with hope with a future, with a pathway, and with direction. The problem is it must first start from within. You can't bring to the world what you don't already have. A mentor of mine very early on told me, he said, if you want to be, if you want to be a blessing to somebody, then you first have to be blessed. You can't go be a blessing to somebody. You can't buy somebody a sack of groceries unless you have money to buy them a sack of groceries. You cannot be a blessing a, ble a blessing to somebody else unless you're already blessed. You can't give what you don't have. And I believe today that we have come up with a lot of programs, a lot of strategies, a lot of technology. I'm not knocking it. We use every single thing we can get our hand on around here to propel the gospel forward. But that cannot be our dependency. It is insufficient apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm afraid that we are trusting in everything but the power of the Holy One of Heaven to drive us and direct us. See, there was a selection that took place. Did you know that if you're a father, God selected you? God selected you to be a dad. Is the video we watched earlier. It's the greatest job in all the world. You can fail at everything in the world, but if you're successful at being a father, you're the greatest success in all the world. 
We have men that are successful at running mega companies. They have more money they know what to do with, but they are terrible as a father. And that is the ultimate failure. If you're a father, God has selected you. In this passage of Scripture, he selected these people to go back to a city, a city of, of Jerusalem, and begin to rebuild, begin to bring about restoration that would lead to revival. What God is looking for today is a group of people among us who are willing to rise up and say, Lord, I am willing. I am willing. Who did he select? Any, everybody made the cut. Who, the king said, who wants to go back and make a difference? Jesus said, who will come and join me? Who will take this journey? Who will go on this task? Now, the reality about a task like this is that the selection has been made. But if the heart's not stirred, there won't be much obedience. Look with me, if you would, at verse 5. The Bible says, the head of the father's house, I'm in chapter 1, the head of the father's house of Benjamin and the priests and the Levites whose spirits God had moved upon. God moved upon their spirits. The invitation was given to everybody. God moved upon their spirits, but not everybody obeyed. Not everybody obeyed. God moves on people's hearts week after week after week. He stirs their heart, but many aren't willing to follow the rest of the way. Matter of fact, I've been doing this for 18 years. I could give an invitation in a minute. And I could say, all right, raise your hand if God's speaking to your heart. I want to pray for you. I've done that many times here. You've responded. You've raised your hand. We do that. Okay. All right. The next thing is now, who wants to obey it? Who wants to, You feel the Spirit of God moving on you, and you want me to pray for you. Your hands go up all over the building. Okay. Second step is now, who wants to obey what the Spirit's saying? Locked up. Nobody moves. Now, listen. The Bible says... That it's better to obey than sacrifice. It's better to obey than give a bunch of sacrifice. God is looking for somebody who's willing to obey. You want to know what the answer to our problem in our country is? It's not that we don't have morality. You can't legislate morality. You can't legislate sexual purity. The problem is that we have mistaken morality for spirituality. Spirituality comes from God and is driven from the inside out. And morality is just you being a good person. Today what God's wanting to do in our heart and our life is he's looking for somebody who's willing to move. You remember I asked you to, and we see these men moved. They moved and they obeyed. They followed. A selection was made. God selected them. He selected a king. He selected the people. 42,360 rose up and said, hey, I'll go back. I'll go back. I'll make a difference. I'll go back. I'll give. I'll, I've been selected. I'll go. I'll go. There was a guy, you remember in verse 13 of chapter 2, I asked you to underline his name. Let's talk about his name for just a minute. The first part of his name was Adoniah. Do you know what that means? Adoniah? Adoniah means Lord. The second part of his, is the, of his name was Cam. Do you know what it means? It means to rise in a hostile sense. You know how many went back from his family? 666. Coincidence? Probably not. 
Where does that number come from? You may not know much Bible at all, but you know 666. So, Lord of rebellion. What does that mean? That in the middle of all these people that went back, 666 people went back as the Lord of Rebellion. What it means is that good and evil run on the same set of tracks. One's on one side, one's on the other. They leave the station at the same time. They travel at the same speed, and they arrive at the same time. What it means is that when you set your heart to seek God, serve God, love God, worship God, all hell will try to besiege you. Right in the middle of them, 42,360, there were 666 of them who was part of the Lord of Rebellion. Amen. And we allow the 666 to overshadow the other 41,000-something people. Well, my goodness, they must be the majority. Listen, God's not impressed with numbers. Remember, Gideon had a huge army and he whittled it down all the way to about 300. God is a majority by himself. He's just looking for somebody to live from faith to faith. He's looking for a dad to rise up and say, you know what? I'm not worried about what the new pathway of being a father is about. I'm worried about rising up and making a difference in my home. You know what? My children may call it old. They may call it antiquated. I call it love. I call it training. I call it fundamental principles that will steer them for the rest of their life. God selected a king. He selected these men, and he selected you. But will you move? The king said, whosoever will may go. The kings of kings says, whosoever will may come. Jesus was selected. The Bible says that he was a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He prayed, said, Father, take this cup from me. It wasn't that he was saying, I don't want to be crucified. It wasn't that he was saying, I don't want to be beaten. You know what he was saying? I don't want to be separated from you. It wasn't the crucifixion. It wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the crown of thorns that was so heavy upon Jesus. It was that he knew that when my sin was placed upon his back, that it would bring about the separation. And for the first time, the father-son relationship would be looked at as a God relationship. That's why he said, my God my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What greater model do we have than Jesus? There was a selection, but one had to accept it. And then one had to be willing to make the sacrifice. As we look at this here, we must understand that to go back, it was a great sacrifice. Why did only 42,360 go back? Well, if you go back to Jeremiah 29, 11, the verse that everybody loves to quote, and right before he said, I know the plans that I have for you, here's what he says. I want you to plant vineyards, build houses, and have children because you're going to be here a while. And after 70 years, I'm going to let you go back. Well, 70 years is a whole generation, correct? You know what, how much things change in 70 years? In 70 years, they had planted vineyards. They had built houses. They had children. They had grandchildren. Some of them even had great-grandchildren by this time. 
And now you want me to pick all that up and go back to a city of Jerusalem? It's been burned to the ground. It's been laid waste. There's nothing there. You want me to leave all this? Wait a minute. I'm living pretty good in the land of bondage. Oh, me, preacher. We don't have that wicked king Nebuchadnezzar anymore. That good king Cyrus came in and he overthrew him. And now he's, he's partial to us Jews. Matter of fact, look how nice he is. He's letting us go back to Jerusalem. Won't you boys go on back and get that done? You know why many didn't go back? Because 42,000 really isn't many out of the whole nation of Israel. You know why many didn't go back? Because life was too good in bondage. Amen, preacher. Life was too good in the hardships. Well, it's tough, you know, but you know, it's tough everywhere. You know, and I got a good house here, and I got a good job. You know, and I've worked hard, and I've risen to a level of prominence in Babylon. I mean, look at Nehemiah. He was a king's cupbearer for crying out loud he was right there you want me to leave you want me to leave my home you want me to leave my family because out of that 42,360 a lot of their family stayed well dad you can go back if you want to grandpa grandpa man you're an old square and you just don't get it you know, it's bondage everywhere now. And you know, we, we, we already settled in this land of bondage. Why why you want to go to the, the burned down fields of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and live there? Really? That can't be good for our health to live amongst all those ash ruined heaps. Mm. You know a lot of their family stayed out of those that went. They had to be willing to leave them. They had to leave their comfort. And they had to leave their security. What is security? It's not necessarily the police. It's whatever you're trusting in. They had to be willing to make a sacrifice. <clears throat> when we look at the map of this city. If we're going to bring about any kind of restoration at all, we're going to have to be willing to make some sacrifices. We're going to have to be willing to invest our lives. We're going to have to be willing to leave some comforts. We're going to have to be willing to engage in some prayer meetings and saying, God, I can't figure this out. We can't do it, God. I need you. If homes that are filled with hopelessness will ever find the hope and the peace and the love of Jesus Christ, it's going to take men and women, boys and girls, just like us in this building to rise up and say, you know what, I believe not only will I may be the first generation that ever graduated from college in my family, or but I tell you something else, I believe that I'm going to be the first generation in my family to ever maybe walk in the peace and the passes of the understanding of a holy God and to have intimacy with the creator of the universe. Amen. Oh, it's going to be a sacrifice. I struggle with the sacrifice. See, this is easier preaching than it is living. 
The king said, you must offer a sacrifice. But the king of kings, Jesus said, I'll become the sacrifice. He's already laid down his life. And now all he's asking us is, would you invest yours on my behalf? One had to accept the selection. One had to be willing to make the sacrifice, but one had to be willing to serve. See, you could be selected but not go. You could go but not serve. You could go and be like Adoniakim and lead the rebellion and complain the whole way and say, this don't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This isn't good reality. This isn't good business. I'm telling you that faith to faith never makes sense. When you walk and you trust and you obey and you follow the voice of God, just throw your reasoning out the door because God isn't reasonable in human equations. We don't operate by human equations. We operate by faith to faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 69 of chapter 2 of the book of Ezra says this. According to their ability, they gave. What did they give? Well, of course, they gave financially. Of course, they gave their money, but they gave physically. They showed up, and they were accounted for. They showed up and said, not only am I willing to invest my money, but I am willing to invest myself. And they gave their talent according to their own ability. They gave. The king said, you can go, but the king of kings says, you can come. The king says, you must give a sacrifice. The king of kings says, I'll become the sacrifice. The king said, you must serve, but the king of kings said, I came to serve. He arose from the dinner table and took a towel and girded his waist and began to clean and bathe the feet of his servants and he looked at the disciples and said if I be in your Lord and master take the lowliest task that you can think of and do it then shouldn't you do the same isn't it amazing that the church obeyed the teaching of Jesus on baptism isn't it amazing that the church, the New Testament church, has obeyed the teaching? They have ordinance number one, baptism, ordinance number two, communion, but they don't ever have ordinance number three. What is ordinance number three? Well, when he was handing out ordinance number two, he was handing out ordinance number three, but nobody wants to talk about ordinance number three. What is ordinance number three? Get over yourself. Take up the lowliest task. Gird yourself. Submit yourself. Sacrifice yourself. Give your all to God, and God will fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit and will give you a peace that will pass all understanding, and we can begin to influence a city. And not a church. When our priorities become more. When they become more about a city. Than a building. And a church. The restoration of a city will start happening. And it's a whole lot harder than just give them Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus is 
sufficient for salvation. But I am telling you, you have to begin to train people to live a whole new lifestyle. Jesus gave it all. Jesus served all. And he's looking at us saying, will you join me in this movement of restoration? When restoration happens, revival will be right on its tail. Well, this is heavy.